Welcome to Heart to Bark, a podcast for people who love their animals and want to learn more about them. I am your host, Dr. Mark. Come, sit, and stay tuned as we talk about the health and well-being of our furry, scaly, and even feathery friends. Hey guys, Dr. Mark here. Welcome back to Heart to Bark. We are going to talk about heat strokes today. And and this is something that I've been seeing quite a bit lately. I'm down in South Texas and it is September, the first part of September right now. And we have been in the hundred degrees pretty much every day, it seems like for the past several months with minimal to no rain. And so we're getting a lot, a lot of heat strokes from these guys. And you know, basically a heat stroke is a life-threatening emergency and it is something that you really want to take seriously with your pets. Uh, typically these guys' temperature should hang out around the 100, 100 point or 101. If their temperatures get around 105, then you start to have issues with their body systems. Uh, everything starts to shut down and they start to have problems dissipating that heat out, which is going to become very important in the treatment process whenever we're starting to deal with this. But many times they're episodes. So they they have this, they were perfectly fine, and they had, you know, an event that caused this heat stroke. So I want to dive off into heat strokes a little bit just because we do deal with them quite a bit here in South Texas. I know everybody's listening from uh, multiple areas, and so you may not have the issues, but, uh, you know, even people up north, uh, they do see heat strokes up there, even when it's cooler weather, and I'll talk a little bit about that and why they do that. So basically, heat strokes come in two forms. There's a non-exertional form and then an exertional form. And basically what that means is, is non-exertional is the dog doesn't necessarily do anything. It's classically from exposure to hot and humid environments, which in our area here is basically what it is. We have quite a bit of humidity and it's been very, very hot. Exertional heat stroke is typically when these guys you know, have a strenuous activity. So they will be maybe potentially hunting dogs or field trial dogs or uh, things like that. And there's obviously a lot of different components that can go into that and risk factors that can predispose them to having heat strokes. And so some of the big ones that we deal with is if they're on any particular medications, uh, some of those being uh, fluid therapy, if they have a dog on uh, what's called furosemide or Lasix, some of the heart medicines will do that. We call them beta blockers, uh, but, but some some medications can potentially do it. Some different toxins can definitely do it. And so, you know, you just want to kind of, in general, stay away from any toxins. But uh, But those would be some of the risk factors from a medication standpoint. The other things that we worry about is just from a structure standpoint with the breed, uh, brachycephalic breeds. So what those are is your short-nosed dogs. These guys typically have lots and lots of issues 
with heat strokes. So those are your English bulldogs, your French bulldogs, just bulldogs in general. Uh, boxers can even have issues with it. Um, so those are the ones that you're really going to want to watch closely if their nose is kind of more squished. We call it brachycephalic. If they have any airway diseases, laryngeal paralysis, collapsing tracheas, uh, those are definitely risk factors that we want to really watch these guys uh, and make sure they don't have any issues. Uh, obesity, so being overweight is a risk factor. Heart disease, so just heart disease in general, but then your heart meds that we just talked about can also make them, you know, have a higher risk of developing heat strokes in, you know, the ideal situation. Increase age and then dark colored coats also just from absorption of the heat. Uh, those are some of the big ones that we deal with that kind of predispose these guys to heat strokes. So now I want to go into a little bit about the difference between fever and heat strokes because they definitely are different. So the body has a part of the brain, it's actually the hypothalamic thermoregulatory center. Not that you really need to know that, but just that there is a part of the brain that regulates body heat. And with dogs with a fever, there is a set point that is abnormal in that regulatory center, which causes the body temperature to heat. And this usually is due to some sort of inflammation or infection. In a heat stroke dog, their thermoregulatory center is normal, but their body temperature is elevated because they're not able to get rid of this heat that has, you know, overcome them. And so basically they need to dissipate this heat. And there's basically four ways that we can dissipate heat in, you know, in, in, in any format. So there's radiation, there's conduction, convection, and evaporation. So radiation, typically you have these infrared heat waves, and usually these will be dissipated by vasodilation. So you want those blood vessels to dilate, and that will dissipate the heat from these guys. Conduction uh, usually involves transfer between two objects. So if we lay on a cold surface, you're going to transfer the heat from the hot to the cold, and that's where conduction is going to come into place. So lying on a cool surface would um, would benefit in that aspect. Convection. Convection involves heat loss uh, by airflow. So when air flows across the body or the skin, you're going to get some evaporation and that's how typically you're going to dissipate heat. So in dogs, uh, typically evaporation is going to be done by panting. So Panting creates kind of this evaporative heat loss because they bring in a large amount of air into their mucous membranes down into their lungs and then they're going to blow that out. And so evaporation and conduction are the two big ways that dogs and cats, for that matter, dissipate their heat. So knowing that, then we can kind of work on how we're going to help these guys to cool off once they have had a heat stroke. And so a couple of other things that I want to go over real quick before we go into some of the options for uh, treating these guys uh, is basically the temperature points and what, what happens in those temperature points. So as I was saying earlier, 
100, 100.1 is typically where we like to see their temperature sit at. Now, when we get up to 102.5, that typically is the high end of normal. And so we still consider that normal, but it's it's kind of getting to a point where eh, maybe we're, we're starting to look at maybe having a little bit of a fever. But whenever we get up to temperatures of greater than 105, you're going to start to get nervous system damage. So the nerves are going to start having some issues. When you start reaching temperatures of over 106, then you start getting cells that start to just basically die. And so being over 106, proteins in in cells start to die. Greater than 109, then you start getting some issues with the cells and their cell membranes starting to have some some issues. There's some enzymes that start getting uh, released, and these guys don't typically do well. Uh, usually, you're going to start getting some irreversible uh, nerve damage, brain damage at this point. And then if we get guys that get over the 120 degrees, and if they're at that point for greater than five minutes, uh, these get, the cells just basically start to to die for sure. And so that is something that we definitely want to watch very closely and becomes a prognosis indicator is, is how high did it get and for how long was the temperature that high? Because the higher the temperature and the longer that it is elevated like that, the prognosis starts to go way down as these organs start to shut down and basically start to necrose. So, you know, greater than 120, they start to necrose. So greater than 106, cells are starting to die. Greater than 120, cells are starting to necrose. And so these are numbers that a lot of owners will check at home. And so we've got to get these guys cooled off uh, pretty quickly. And so, you know, basically heat stroke causes just a multi-organ problem. And, you know, depending on, you know, which organ is affected the worst, because it can affect all of them, uh, typically is what you're going to see whenever we typically find them on a uh, physical exam. And so many times they're coming in, they're painting, and they are having uh, a lot of distress. They will usually, you know, have their fever. Uh, some of them may collapse, have signs of shock, and then bleeding. So bleeding can come from, you know, the rectum, from, you know, the mouth. You may just see start seeing spots show up all over their body, which is just not a good sign for these guys if you ever see those guys. So, you know, there's a lot of tests that we can run to, you know, determine organ function and in how we're doing clinically. But, you know, the the mainstay of of treatment is is getting these guys uh, cooled off for sure. So how do we cool these guys down? So, you know, basically what we want to utilize is the evaporative cooling. And the best way to do that is to basically mist these guys with cool or you know, just ambient temperature water. You don't want to use cold water and you don't want to use ice on these guys. What that does is that causes their blood vessels to constrict and further inhibits the blood flow that we want. So we don't want to do that. You know, one of the the cooling um, mechanisms was with the use of the uh, dilated blood vessels. And so cold water will actually uh, have a negative effect on that. So just cool, just cool water or just kind of room temperature water 
is going to be most uh, beneficial. And then you want to put a fan on these guys. So whether you're driving to the to, towards a vet clinic, uh, put put them in front of a fan, in front of the air conditioner, and just blow that air over their body just to kind of evaporate what you're misting on them or even just, just getting them wet in general. So a couple of things just to think about in that aspect is uh, the use of putting wet towels and basically dogs with thick hair coats. So you're wanting to evaporate this off. And so the use of towels is sometimes controversial because then you're, you're actually not allowing that to evaporate and, and, uh, and, and is actually a negative effect on that. The same with these dogs with thick hair coats. Sometimes you may want to shave these guys down and you don't want to shave them to the skin, but you definitely want to get some of that undercoat off, uh, because wet hair can act as insulation. And so some of these guys that are having heat strokes, you just got to be cautious with actually applying wet towels and then the thick hair coats, just be cognizant of that as well. And so don't, um, you know, basically just watch that because these guys, we may be actually doing the opposite of what we want. Another thing that a lot of people recommend and and is a little bit controversial uh, is the use of alcohol on the paw pads and on the ear pinna. You know, alcohol, um, it evaporates really well. It does cool really well. And, you know, there is a component that maybe it's causing some vasoconstriction, um, which then again, once again, limits the ability for them to get rid of this heat and dissipate this heat. So, you know, misting cool water or room temperature water may be more beneficial than alcohol. Although I do know that all of the Uh, tips that I just talked about are used very routinely, but just something to think about moving forward with these heat stroke guys is, um, you know, maybe avoiding the alcohol and just using more of a water. So when do you stop cooling them? So if you're, if you're managing at home, not bringing to a clinic, typically you want to stop trying to cool them when they reach about 102 to 103, because you can actually take them into what's called hypothermia, which is where they get cold. They call this after drop is the term that they use for that. And that's when that body temperature just continues to get cooler and cooler, even after you've, um, you've stopped, uh, the cooling process. So you just got to be careful. And so typically what we recommend is that we stop at about one Oh two with the cooling things because cooling does help prevent the, you know, the cells from dying. Uh, but you definitely don't want to take them too cold uh, just because you might then get into another situation there. So once they're at the clinic, you know, there's many things that we will do there. So a lot of times what we'll do is we'll get them on oxygen. Uh, We'll basically just help their breathing system. IV fluids for sure. So IV fluids definitely start to kind of cool them off from the inside out. Many of these guys are dehydrated. And so we start them on IV fluids. Sometimes we'll check their sugar levels and make sure that those are okay. And if we need to, we can supplement for that. And one of the big ones that we'll actually watch for is uh, brain swelling. So many times with this, they're, they're shifting a lot of electrolytes and that nervous system's having a lot of problems. And so there are medications that we can use to help uh, any brain swelling because some of these guys will come in seizuring and having a lot of neurologic effects. Another organ that we'll watch for is the uh, the intestines. Many times, once these guys get hot for a long time, they'll slough their inner lining of their intestines and we'll get a lot of bloody diarrheas on these guys. 
And there's quite a few more other things that we can do for these guys in the clinic. I won't go into detail about all of those. The big thing uh, for this podcast is just to kind of let you be aware of, you know, heat strokes, recognize what's happening and know some of the things you can do at home uh, before you get to a clinic and kind of know, you know, your set points for at what temperature are things happening, because that can be very important and really kind of push the issue as to, wow, this one may not do well if our temperatures are getting up into the greater than 106. uh, And maybe we really do need to get them into a clinic. And this isn't something that we can manage at home. So what are some of the things that we can do to prevent or, you know, just keep a heat stroke from happening. Well, the first thing that I would encourage you to do is just watch temperature changes within the environment. So just because a dog is been outside all the time doesn't mean that they are adjusted to the temperature change. So if you have a temperature change, typically we'll see this kind of more in the in the springtime uh, where, you know, we might get a little bit more heat coming out of the winter and they get this kind of first real quick heat wave in a sense, not really a wave, but these guys will usually have issues, uh, you know, even into the summer months where maybe it was a little bit cooler and then we have a hot day. It takes about 60 days for a dog to acclimate to the environment. And so if there's a sudden uh, increase in temperature, you can have a heat stroke. And this is important up in the north because it doesn't necessarily have to be hot. It can just be warmer. And if these guys are not adjusted to that and you have a hot day, uh, even though it's still to us pretty cool, it could be really hot to them and you can still have heat strokes. So you got to be careful whenever you have temperature changes that become all of a sudden. Another thing that you want to watch for is, once again, the brachycephalic breeds. These guys just can't regulate their temperature as well. Uh, Also, the obesity is another thing that we worry about. So just make sure uh, you're watching these guys really well. Um, If they're a little bit overweight, uh, maybe they can't, you know, adjust their heat and, and acclimate as well. Also, the time of day that you do any kind of exercising, you really want to keep that to early mornings and late evenings. And preferably early mornings, because still even after late evenings, um, you've had that sun beating on the earth and the ground and the pavement and the concrete all day. A lot of that, those roads and those sidewalks can still be pretty hot. And so burning of the feet, so maybe not even necessarily heat stroke, but burning their paw pads, we see that very commonly as well. So definitely want to check that real quick. I mean, we're wearing shoes. We don't know the difference, but, you know, put your hand on that and make sure it's not hot because these guys burn their feet quite a bit. So early mornings, late evenings is going to be the best time uh, that you want to uh, walk or do any kind of your exercising for these guys to make sure that they don't have issues with that. And so keeping out of a closed area, so especially cars, Definitely don't keep these guys in a closed car, especially not being on or with air conditioner on these. These cars get hot really, really fast. And that even goes just for kennels in general or inside the garage. You know, these guys need to have access to water. They need a breeze. They need wind. Uh, And so keeping them confined in small areas, no matter what that is. Uh, you really need to avoid that. And then just on hot and humid days, so really the humidity really drives these guys to having heat strokes. 
So you really want to watch that humidity level. And if it's really bad, you may want to get these guys inside on days like that. So uh, those are some of the, the other things that you may want to watch out for. All right. Well, I hope uh, this was a good uh, podcast for you. I know I went into a lot of detail on a lot of things. I just wanted to touch base and, you know, maybe give a little bit more. I think a lot of people know about heat strokes, but they don't know the actual uh, temperature points and kind of what happens and, and different things like that. And so I wanted this podcast to be a little bit more detailed than, you know, kind of what you typically see. So, or hear. and, uh, but if y'all have any questions, definitely don't, don't hesitate to reach out and, uh, we look forward to, uh, talking to y'all on the next one. Y'all have a great day. Thanks. If you enjoyed listening to this type of content, then hit that subscribe button for new episodes every week. For more information about this podcast or printable PDFs, visit our website at drmark.vet. That's D-R-M-A-R-K dot V-E-T. And feel free to email us about new topics to put on the show at info at drmark.vet. Also, check out our social outlets like Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram to stay up to date with our activities. Thank you and have a great day.